we're in a, a such, uh, we're in the place in the Gospels where Jesus actually is at the conclusion, almost at the conclusion, of his earthly ministry. Uh, when he enters Jerusalem, it'll be his last time, and that is coming right up in the in the next chapter. And I say this because uh, that entry into Jerusalem is very very significant. It is uh, his first public heralding as a king. But in today's passage, we see special insight and discernment on, on the part of two very unlikely people who see the Lord Jesus for who he really is, announce him publicly and <laughs> confidently, and, well, are very much welcomed and blessed by the Lord to do so. So our text will be Matthew 20 and verses 29 through 34. I hope this will be a very, very uh, encouraging passage to you who uh, perhaps uh, feel sometimes uh, frustrated in prayer, uh, but, uh, or maybe perhaps you think the Lord does not hear your prayer. Uh, this is a, a very fine passage uh, to help you and encourage you in every way to keep on with the Lord Jesus. Verse 29. And as they, the disciples, went out of Jericho, a great crowd followed him. And behold, there were two blind men sitting by the roadside. And when they heard that Jesus was passing by, they cried out, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. The crowd rebuked them, telling them to be silent. But they cried out all the more, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. And stopping, Jesus called them and said, What do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Lord, let our eyes be opened. And Jesus in pity touched their eyes. And immediately they recovered their sight and followed him. This far reading God's holy word. Let's pray. Lord, we, we, we all, of course, could not have been there. It was another place and another time. But we thank you for your word and for your spirit that brings this lively occasion, this wonderful occasion of your great compassion to miserable men caught in so much suffering and so much difficulty in this life. We thank you for your kingliness and we pray that we would see new vistas of all your greatness here and that seeing you for who you really are, that we would worship you today in the spirit of God and according to all your truth. We pray it. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. The teaching here this morning is that all, the, all who know Jesus uh, as the promised son of David will call on him as their savior and follow him out of gratitude for his great com uh, compassion. Those, uh, um, a great number of people have heard of Jesus and a, a great number of people know a great deal about the Lord Jesus. But those who know Jesus as the promised son of David, as the scripture would have it, will call on him as their savior and follow him out of gratitude for his great compassion. He has compassion and power to match it. That's the teaching and we have three very quick points here to hold up that great teaching, that great proposition. First of all, we need to consider that many uh, follow Jesus uh, not realizing his kingly position or his kingly identity. 
It was true in that day. Great crowds followed uh, the Lord Jesus and, and Jesus' disciples. And they followed him because there was, well, great advantages of following him. Uh, for one, illnesses were, were being overwhelmingly cured. And uh, uh, the Lord who had compassion and fed the multitudes even in very severe wilderness places. He also uh, was, no disease at all uh, seemed uh, to stand in his way. He would heal leprosy, he would raise the dead. He, and here, of course, he will show another wonderful, wonderful power. But they followed them and large crowds followed Jesus. But they hadn't quite put together who he was. Do you remember how the, we, we started the Gospel of Matthew and uh, with John the Baptist baptizing at the Jordan? And people were wondering if John was the one who was coming. And John made it clear that he was not. There was no, uh, but one is coming after me. And this one, I'm not, uh, I'm not worthy to even unfasten his sandals. Uh, but um, he was not the one, but the people were looking. They were wondering. And the people were beginning to wonder, of course, but hardly any was so bold to actually proclaim it. You know how it is in school when you think you've got the answer, you raise your hand and, oh yeah, teacher, yeah, the answer is five. And, uh, you know, the teacher looks at you in your algebra class and she says, no, not even close. <laughs> well, it, it, it would be a shame to misidentify the true and coming king of Israel. So, but large crowds followed them and they saw Jesus' power. It was unmistakable. Even his enemies uh, gave tribute that he indeed had power, but they would attribute that power to another source, not God, but Satan himself. They noted uh, Jesus' wisdom, his vast knowledge of Scripture, uh, even in areas where uh, things were up for contention, not clear. The Lord Jesus, with ease, uh, navigated the Scriptures quoting them liberally. He knew and loved God's word. And so he, they knew that Jesus was a prophet. That is to say, that Jesus uh, could, uh, could understand, he understood the will of God as revealed in Scripture, and that he was a right interpreter of that, of that prophecy. Now, they knew that much, but they sometimes wondered how in the world he came up with some new material. And that was also a hidden fact that not only was Jesus a, a prophet, but he was the prophet. And he was still, he was still revealing new uh, revelation from, from heaven. Uh, but that fascinated some people. Other, other people were, were very angry at Jesus for uh, proposing to have such authority and power. Uh, Jesus was not quite yet known as a high priest, at least in uh, the Gospel of Matthew. It is not brought forth to the degree as it is in the Gospel of John, nor do they really see him yet, although they have plenty of evidence, as a king. But that is the very theme of the Gospel of Matthew. If, if there's one thing that Matthew really wants to have uh, you really understand very cleanly is that the Lord is the son of David, that he was the promised one, the king of Israel. Uh, that is something that Matthew, who writes primarily for a Jewish audience, uh, wants to get very, very much before his readers. Now, the Jews had the scriptures, and they should have identified the son of David. Of course, 
Jesus held that back because he knew the political implications, uh, and they were very, very severe. Uh, you might say that Jesus in his day was sitting on a powder keg because uh, the Jews were a vassal state of Rome, and Rome did not appreciate uh, a lot of disorder uh, in their vassal states, and nothing, nothing at all uh, would, would uh, uh, incite the Jews more than the knowledge, uh, the verifiable knowledge that their king was now in their midst, because this king was to rule over all nations. This king might incite a riot. And so that nation, uh, that, uh, that notion, the notion of Christ being a king, it had to be very, very carefully presented at the right time. But that's coming up very soon now. Chapter 21, the last week of Jesus' life. Few had made the critical identification then as Jesus, as the son of David. And so here the crowd, we, we, we hear the crowd rebuking the two men. They cried out, Lord, have mercy on us. And the crowd then rebuked them. That is to say, they corrected them. They said, or they scolded him. They scolded those two blind men. Don't, don't do that. Don't say, be quiet, they're saying. Uh, maybe they thought that the title was outlandish. Um, coming, especially if it comes from two beggars. Oh, who are you? Uh, what's your background? How is it that you are saying this and none of our leaders and rabbis? How, how is it that none of our, 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 our more pious people here that we know uh, from the synagogues and in our communities, how come they haven't made that identification? Uh, but it may be, as I said, nobody wanted to rock the boat politically uh, because that was truly a match to the powder keg. They should have, if they had been very bold, <laughs> given a resounding amen. Uh, this is the first time I've seen where Jews are reluctant to say amen. They usually amen the, the teacher about 10 times per sentence. I mean, they, they just rock in their chair. They, they just love to, to, to confer uh, agreement. Uh, and so, but this is not what we find here. We want to say amen and preach it, but no, no, that word was not heard here. Now, Jesus' disciples, uh, of course, were there, and they were with the crowd, and they already knew that Jesus was the one. And perhaps they also rebuked the two blind men. Uh, but they would have done so to protect Jesus' identity because, uh, like I said, because of the repercussions. The disciples um, made no attempt to hinder the crowd from rebuking these two men. <laughs> and uh, so, and that's interesting to consider, but we don't know, we don't know the motive for sure. But the situation, of course, was tense for the nation and dire for the two blind men. The two blind men sitting by the road knew that Jesus was the son of David. They called him Lord. That was probably a polite title. It, I, don't, I don't believe at this time it was uh, as theologically charged as we, we might consider, but it might have been. We can't really determine it so easily in this passage. They called him However, the son of David. Now that is a very, very exact title, and it can only mean one thing, and that this is the one that was promised in the Davidic covenant to be an heir of David and the line of that king that would assume the throne and govern in a splendid way, even more splendid. Uh, well, the promises uh, were even greater than uh, those concerning 
uh, seen in Solomon's day. He could be none other than Messiah, the anointed one. Of course, all leaders, uh, all, all leaders in, the, uh, in, in the Jewish nation, the high priest, uh, uh, the king, uh, judges, uh, and uh, they, were, they were anointed. That is to say, it was emblematic of, of the, the authority of God upon their head and the, the presence of the Holy Spirit to guide the people. And the anointing is what uh, brought about uh, not only wisdom, but, but power to perform and in victory. Uh, with, with the anointing uh, came the promise of blessing, prosperity, uh, peace, success. And Christ, of course, means in the Greek, the christened one, the, the anointed one, Messiah. And uh, this is what was on the mind of these two blind men. And this was a fulfillment of the promise of the Davidic covenant. I, I, again, the suspense here is amazing because Israel or Judah had not had a sitting king for more than 350 years. And the kings that had descended from David long before that, long even before the Babylonian captivity, were, were weak, became weak and weaker. And uh, the Lord, of, of course, uh, finally showed his disappointment and discipline of the line of David by removing, by removing their king, sending them into exile. And uh, it looked like the Davidic covenant uh, would have no, no resolution. But my friends, the Lord has promised, you see. It was a conditional, it was a conditional promise that if your son, that is to say the son of David, uh, would walk in my ways and keep my statutes, and if he was a, a, a king that was uh, rightly to be received by the Lord, then uh, he would establish his kingdom and the great blessing would follow. It was a conditional covenant. And in that way, uh, Judah had completely, completely failed it. But the Lord, the Lord deals with failure very graciously. See, if it were up to our performance of any part of Scripture, we would not avail. We, we would not avail of any of the greatest benefits, these great benefits that the Lord is, 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 uh, is announcing in His kingdom. We would be disqualified. But the Lord is able uh, to fulfill His own conditions and bring about the realization of His promises. And Jesus is the one, that chosen one, full of grace, that realizes all the promises of God and all of Scripture. Any promise that you read in Scripture, if you want to know whether that will be yours for your enjoyment and your blessing, all you have to understand is that all promises are yes and amen in Jesus. And that's why, I tell you, this word amen should have been shouted to the, to the, to the clouds uh, because having this son of David now we have all things. He is the one who qualifies. He is the one who qualifies. Now, uh, this one, uh, again, this one that is being heralded by the, by the blind man as, as the son of David is an obedient, holy son. He had to be of the, of the line of David. And, of course, uh, that's how Matthew starts his gospel. He wants you to know that uh, the coming one had the kingly pedigree. Not any Jew could be Messiah. He had to have been of this Davidic covenant. And uh, this, was to sit, uh, this one was, was destined to sit on David's throne 
and he was to rule forever. That is the sworn promise of God. But uh, this, this title to the Lord Jesus, it, it's really much more than, than any of the Jewish leaders were ready to, to confess. Uh, and yet it, here is Israel's Savior, and it's their Savior. The two men knew that it was that, that, that Jesus, the son of David, was their Savior. Okay, there's one thing to say, that Jesus is the Savior of the world. Another thing to say that Jesus was born the Savior, the Son of God and the Son of David, uh, to be a Savior to the house of Israel. But it's quite another thing, my friend, to say that this is my Savior. And this is applying that promise, which you, in your good conscience, know is yes and amen uh, to yourself. And this is what these men felt. The two, blind, the two blind men knew that they needed deliverance and they knew that deliverance was for them in Christ. Now, my, my friends, we need to understand from the Scripture, and we need to apply the Scriptures and read them uh, to know the Gospel fully and how uh, the Gospel does indeed realize all of what the prophets did foretell regarding this coming one, this anointed uh, son of David. And so do you honor the Lord Jesus for who he really is and all that he is today. He is not merely a good teacher. He's not merely a prophet. Uh, so many of the world, uh, people of the world get that right. Uh, but he's also your priest, uh, and we can cover that in another sermon. But he is certainly here presented as your king. Now what do kings do? Well, kings rule, yes, but my friends, king ben kings protect their people. And if you belong to the Lord Jesus, if you've taken his name at baptism, then he will honor you and protect you. He's there as your defense. And not only that, which you really need this also, uh, as your king, not only does he subdue all your enemies, but he's able to subdue your enemy. Uh, that is to say, your own self. He's able to subdue your own flesh. Uh, the power that he has in the Holy Spirit uh, is able to mortify sin and to apply grace uh, so that you uh, are dying more and more to sin and you are living more and more to righteousness. Uh, is he indeed your prophet, your priest, and your king? Uh, there are some sectors of Christianity that are still, still telling people that they should make Jesus uh, their Lord and King. And I understand what their intent is. What their intent is to say, will you, are you submitting? Have you submitted? Have you, have you abandoned yourself? Are you completely dependent on this king for your salvation? Are you following him absolutely as far as you are able to by his grace as your king? That's what they mean. But in reality, nobody makes Jesus king. The anointing is there. God the Father has made him king forever by anointing him in the Holy Spirit. Let's make that distinction. I don't want to be critical. But it's very important that he uh, is the one that subdued you, not that you have exalted him uh, as king. The second point of the sermon, not only do many follow uh, Jesus, uh, not realizing his kingly identity, but uh, all who know Jesus' kingly identity, they know his kindness. And, uh, and uh, I mean, that's the best word I think that I can, I can uh, describe the Lord Jesus here. The two blind men, they were, of course, tragically miserable in their conditions. 
and their cry was vehement. Uh, you know, we're, it appears that we're handling a, a, a religious matter here, and so, uh, you know, Presbyterians, they don't, they don't like a lot of zeal, fanaticism in their services. But I can assure you, this is not a matter of religion. This is a matter of, of suffering. This is a matter of, this is a matter of great, great need. And religion does address suffering and great need. So the cry was vehement, passionate. And not only that, it was persistent. Uh, the two would not be quiet. And they were crying for mercy. They knew they had no leg to stand on as far as their uh, being heard of by this son of David as far as their merit. Uh, they didn't step up and say, look, Lord Jesus, when I had my sight, you know, I was able to give lots of money to the synagogue. No, that's, that's not going to win the day anyway. What wins the day with this king is a position of humility, is a, a position of, uh, of dependence, of uh, owning him for who he is and declaring his majesty and his power and his kindness. The Lord is glorified. He is greatly worshipped. When in our prayers we give him the dignity uh, of all that he is, that he is our helper, and that's a form of worship. And to rest upon him for all that he is, is, is worship. They're crying out for mercy. The two men, they did not need any tutoring. They didn't know, need any preaching on, uh, to know their misery. And the two men <clears throat> knew Jesus' kingly identity. How is this? How is it that these two men that are not able to read the scriptures because they're blind or not even look upon the appearance of the Lord Jesus? Uh, some people think that the images of the Lord Jesus might help. Uh, but uh, look, uh, these uh, two uh, couldn't have seen an image of Jesus even in his person. They identified the Lord Jesus as the son of David and a king by faith. It was by faith, despite a physical handicap. You see, the spirit of man is not bound by these physical handicaps. One can soar in the spiritual realm when he is bedridden. And the two don't always correlate. I'm not saying that they are strictly opposites. No, I'm not saying that. But what I'm saying is that faith overcomes even the world. And that's what's going on here. Um, and uh, the two blind men know that Jesus has this identity by faith despite the great peer pressure not to give their opinion. You know how it is. When people have uh, an odd opinion of something, they're immediately marginalized. <clears throat> There's shame. Uh, people shun uh, uh, fanatics and, and, well, no, this man's wrong, and, you know, flat earth, uh, that type of thing. But this, these people, these two blind men were persistent. And this was a, a spiritual perception. Faith is, is perceiving spiritually what the eyes of the flesh cannot see. It is a gift of God who is spirit. And it is given uh, by God uh, to whom he would have um, mercy, give mercy. Now the two blind, mind, uh, blind men moved Jesus to compassion. 
by their persistent uh, public begging. It is annoying, I think, to be uh, dogged by a, a street beggar and indigent, but sometimes your heart will break. When you see extreme cases, I, I think when you see uh, the folks on the street and they, they will tell you something uh, that they served in the, in the armed forces and they're, they're missing a limb, okay, well, now your heart gets broken. Well, Jesus' heart was broken and it's broken very easily because blindness is a terrible affliction. We take, we take sight for granted. We take color uh, f uh, for granted and perception. But there's so much uh, that is, is done by sight in the world and enjoyed by world and so much misery when we don't have it. But Jesus had more than just mercy. He actually felt this compassion. And a compassion, you know, at the root of that word means to suffer along, to, 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 to identify and to feel some of the pain. And this was because Jesus was every bit human and he knew what it was like to have pain, to suffer uh, tiredness, to be at a, at a disadvantage in situations, perhaps. And so the Lord Jesus had compassion for these two. And Jesus then stopped. He was on his way uh, out of Jericho, but he stopped. Uh, he touched their eyes, which goes to show you, my friends, the Lord is near to those who call upon him. Uh, here is the Lord of all, through whom all things were made. He was the mediator of the initial creation. Uh, he ruled in heaven and, uh, at the right hand of the Father before all worlds. He was the Christ, the eternal Son. Uh, and he was wildly, wildly loved and adored by all heaven and by all the pious men, in spirit at least, from the beginning of the age. But this one, although he is high and lofty, does stoop not only to speak and uh, to spend time, he stopped, but actually to touch, to touch the, these men in the, in the eyes. All along Jesus could have just said, hey, here's your sight, and instantly the, they would have recovered their sight. But he touched their eyes. This again is affirming the means. The Lord will, uh, will also, if you are in prayer, give you... Um, encouragements to go on and, and, and believe more and to confirm that yes it was it was he that has answered your prayers he, in touching their eyes the lepers would know yes this is the Lord and they would have their petition and then there was followed immediately the healing this was a great miracle it, it cannot be it cannot be reproduced by uh, men or angels even even demonic angels no one can restore sight, as uh, was done here by Jesus. And it shows you uh, that Jesus is a, a hearer of the cries of his people. That is to say, the ardent desire and prayer of the people. I, I've grown, you know, I'm reading now, uh, I'm reading B.M. Uh, Palmer's book on the theology of prayer. He makes a good, uh, a good deal of sense in declaring that before we even utter a word, if our heart's inclination is to go to God and to sit before him in his majesty, uh, in his strength and in all that he is, and to sit quietly 
and express our, our heart's desire, even in our contemplation before we utter the first word of prayer, that is a very welcome prayer to the Lord. And he hears the groanings that are too deep for words. Now these men manage to have words and they express themselves in words. But the Lord will hear all kinds of prayer. As you get older, perhaps you, you won't have the memory you once did for scripture recitation. I don't know. Those scriptures that you learned as a young person, they seem to stick pretty well, but you get to the point sometimes where even those, uh, they, won't, they won't come out so easily. Just remember that anything you do by way of a sincere cry to the one who has committed himself to be your king, uh, that, one, that, that cry will avail. He is majestic, and he does help in every way. So take, take encouragement. Take encouragement from uh, this very unlikely source. I, I, we didn't have Sunday school this morning. These two beggars are the best Sunday school teachers you had this morning. And my friends, you need to understand that in your prayers, uh, they are not to be so formal as uh, to have you embarrassed about any sort of ardor or zeal. Uh, don't think that you are a fanatic if you persist long in prayer and if you are vehement in your desires. Now, I don't, I'm not, ad, I'm not ad, uh, advising that anyone burn themselves out they're, they're in prayer or exhaust themselves uh, every strength they have in their body in prayer. What I'm saying is there's a season of prayer where you really need to pray. The Lord, the Spirit, He'll guide you in that. Uh, but if, you're, if you give yourself over to that, don't, don't hold back. The Lord doesn't... Is not, he's not going to be impressed by your dignity. You kneel if you have to. You, you plant your face to the floor if you have to. But by all means, grab hold of the Lord. You take hold of his ankles and uh, insist. Uh, this, uh, the way this, the, the Puritans used to say it, you sue the Lord. You sue him. You say, look, you're the king. You're my protector. You've promised. And Lord... By all means, remember your own word. I, I charge you to remember your own word. <laughs> Help me. And my friends, the Lord will, he's not, he's not going to charge you with any kind of iniquity on that. Take encouragement from the example. And uh, if you are experimental or experiential in your prayers, then you are praying with strong desire. The final point of the sermon is this. That all who know Jesus' kindness... If you know the Lord's kindness, you will follow him. You won't, you won't need a preacher up here goading you on. You're going to follow Jesus because you've seen his goodness. And uh, you will follow them because you love the king. That he is now not only the king of Israel, but he is your king. And you will follow by faith. Now, the commandment to follow uh, is surely appropriate. But what I'm saying is, uh, a glory, the glory of the New Testament is that the Spirit seems to be able to convince believers internally what the law then expounds and uh, demands externally. There's agreement, of course. They want you to do the same thing. The Spirit and the law agree as to what righteousness is. But the motivation for those who are Christians, their engine is from the heart. 
their engine is more free and more powerful and less, there's less coercion. And love for the Savior will glorify him in all that he really is and also by obedience. Now, I'm impressed with the, with the outline and arrangement of the Heidelberg Catechism because the various section of his, of his teaching is arranged in this. Uh, the, the Christian life, as taught in the Heidelberg, is, consists of this. Uh, it's, a, it's a teaching or a depiction of the misery of all mankind. That's the first thing it talks about, sin and its ramifications. And then it talks about the deliverance that is available through the Savior, the Lord Jesus, this King that is uh, pronounced here in the Gospel of Matthew. King, the Lord Jesus, who, uh, as our high priest, uh, offers himself. He is both the priest and the victim on the cross. And he accomplished great uh, reconciliation uh, between sinners and God by his blood. So misery and then deliverance from misery to, to, to a great extent, to a significant extent, extent in this life as a foretaste, but then absolute, complete deliverance in the coming life, in the resurrection from the dead. For we will all be judged one day. And at that word and at that day, the Lord will acquit those who have Jesus as their merciful King who has offered intercession and paid their, uh, their debt of sin and who's also been their teacher all the day. Misery, deliverance now to a significant extent and later uh, in the fullness. And then the final part of the Heidelberg outline is gratitude. Our gratitude and love for what the Lord has done is expressed best by our obedience. We're not hoping to gain God's um, salvation through obedience. We're not hoping to impress him with our righteousness. Rather, we are most impressed with the only righteousness, Christ's righteousness, the, the one anointed one, the only one that has come in the name of the Lord and displayed all the virtues of one who, was, uh, who merited to sit on David's throne and that forever. All right. Misery, deliverance, and gratitude. Has this been your experience? Is this, is this an outline of, uh, of your life? Is this the motive for serving Christ? It should be. And one of the hallmarks of those that truly follow the Lord Jesus by faith is thankfulness. Thankfulness. Let me conclude the sermon. These are those who know Jesus as the promised son of David. No, truly will follow him, will call on him as their savior and follow him out of gratitude for his great compassion. My friends, uh, it seems strange, but we have to remind people that there's a great deal of misery in the world. Now, most of us are running away from any thoughts of misery. We do a great deal to avoid thinking that misery might befall us uh, and uh, suffering of all kinds. We've got uh, lots and lots of medicines to even uh, rid of any sort of pain from our bodies. We just, uh, pain indicates suffering and we don't want to suffer and for the most part uh, uh, a lot of rem remedies exist and address that. But my friends, do we know that sin in its various forms and, and aspects have all 
then at the root. Sin is always all, it's, it's the very root of all of our miseries. One way or the other, either our forefathers sinned or we have sinned or Adam sinned and all of this has befallen our race, our sad and broken and fallen race. If you know this, then you'll know that we need much more than pharmaceutical industries and we, know, we need much more than mere education in our public schools to address the problems of the world. We need to be changed. We need to be utterly, utterly changed. Our sin nature needs to be dealt with and mortified. We need to have a new righteousness and a new impulse of goodness and compassion for one another. And so that is called the rebirth. You must be born again. Now, do you believe in the Lord Jesus as the Christ? And do you know what I'm talking about when I say the son of David? Review that in your Bible. And, uh, and, and just study the, all the, the ramifications of that glorious covenant. And also, if you read your Bible, you see how Israel miserably failed in the covenant. They strongly wanted a king, but my friend, performance, yeah, it's important to want uh, to be godly and want uh, to attain the promises. But if God does not help us, we are not helped. And Judah and Israel failed miserably. Become aware and, be, and, and see the background to Jesus' claim here in the scripture, in the gospel of Matthew. And you can begin to better appreciate his knowledge of scripture and his, uh, his character and his obedience and his determination to be that son to Israel. Do you believe that he is compassionate to you? Do you believe that he will listen and be kind to you. Now, I say this because if you don't, then you really haven't dealt with the fact that he is divine and divinity doesn't change. If he is the son of God, then he does not change. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And of course, if these two uh, demonstrate for us anything, is that the Lord wants us to know that he has compassion on you. Even when you don't get your, your answer in prayer immediately, there is good reason he is not far. Again, he's the, he's the God that is intimate, and he comes and he will touch you in that sense, metaphorically. He is a God who is near and not afar off. He will pity you in all of your misery. Do you pray then to God for Jesus' sake to answer your prayers? Not every prayer needs to be earnest. But some prayers, indeed, would seem completely hypocritical and out of place if they were not earnest. Uh, let me put you this question. Are you ashamed to beg in public? I wonder if some people are not attending church because they just, well, they don't need that crutch, you see. Uh, they, no, we don't need that religion. You, 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 you soft ones, yeah. But uh, Darwin and his theories will take care of you soon. You're going to be out. Are you ashamed to beg in public? These two beggars were not ashamed. Are you ashamed to ask a friend, a brother, or a sister in Christ to pray for you in detail over something that is really causing you pain? Then how persistent are you in prayer? You remember the, the woman who continued to, uh, to appeal to the judge until the judge said, I don't, look, I don't care for this woman at all. 
uh, but she's going she's gonna to wear me out here. So I'm going to grant her a petition so just to, I can get some relief. If the wicked judge, you know, will do that in a court case, how much more will the, the God of all things do rightly with you? Has God granted your petitions? Some of you have testimonials of great help. I, we, we, we have a, a, a prayer sheet here that goes out and every once in a while we see magnificent answers to prayer. Uh, we, uh, we need to catalog those in our mind because if there's one thing that will help us to continue in prayer and persevere in prayer and be vehement in prayer and earnest in prayer is answered prayer. Wow, you see the Lord answered. It could be little, little things. Usually, here's something that happened just yesterday. Usually I'm very good about finding my keys. I mean, I'll say, Lord, I've lost my keys. And, and I mean, within seconds, usually, oh, there they are. I just, wow. But yesterday, for about 36 hours, I couldn't find my keys. But then my wife came home, and she found them immediately. But whenever those things happen, it's like when there's a word, even before there's a word in your mouth, the Lord is already there. He's telling you, yeah, you know, I got, I got this. Everything's okay. Are you experiencing those kinds of serendipitous moments with the Lord? He, he's going to surprise you. You can see he's, he's a rather unpredictable character, even in his own element. And so he continues to amaze and instruct and, well... He, he will delight you in the things and with surprising ways what he does in your life. The most important thing that you can ask is the forgiveness of sins. That there be nothing between this majestic king and you. He's holy. He's divine. And so, and you're not. Uh, you're a sinner. And so, you keep that in mind. But that should be no obstruction. That should be no obstacle, because as, uh, as a Christian, you are informed to beseech the Lord to forgive your sins. And you don't here have to spend very long, really. <laughs> it's the one thing that I think I do make a mistake. So some reason, I think that long prayers of forgiveness are going to avail to God. But you know, in their scripture, there's not, there's not one record at all in the Gospels where someone cries out to Jesus for forgiveness of sins. Because it's such a huge request. And Jesus is altogether more than happy to volunteer that even before you ask it. You know, he, he, hears the le- he heals the, le- uh, the leper at the, at the pool of Bethesda, and then he says, well, let's go and sin no more, or forgive your sins, or whatever. He is most gracious, and he wants to do that first for us. So, to, you know, ask him in that way to cleanse you, to renew you, and to draw him to yourself, we call that repentance. Because, my friends, sin and the lack of fellowship with God, the being outside of the life of God as God is a vine and we are in the branches, because that's not true, that is the cause of all the misery in all of the world, in all places and in all times after the fall. And so, my friends, address it wisely. Uh, have insights, have spiritual perception like, like these blind beggars did. You can see things now because of the scriptures and because the Holy Spirit has given you this vision. And so now avail of the vision. Cry out 
in earnest and receive further benefits from the Lord. Follow Jesus out of gratitude. Watch yourself and don't think that obedience is servitude or don't, show, don't think that obedience is legalism. Walk closely to the Lord. Walk closely to the Lord and I don't know that anybody's going to call you a Pharisee. Learn from him. He's humble and meek. Are you relying still on your good works to, to merit something before the Lord? Uh, that's, that's plainly in vain. That's not why the Lord Jesus came. That's not why he was born of the virgin. That's not why he descended from the throne and took himself a, a, a true body and a reasonable soul. It's not why he walked with us so that you might impress God with your own righteousness. He came because we were devoid of righteousness. He came because he was the only branch our righteousness. And so receive him in that vein. And uh, that will glorify him. And uh, then express your whole life as one of misery and deliverance and gratitude. And that, my friends, is the Christian life. Believe in the Lord Jesus as all he is, and you will be saved. Now, to him was able to do more than all you ask or imagine according to the power that is work, work within you. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, now and forevermore. Amen. Let's have our, uh, our tithes and offerings, please, our offerings.